So I want to record my thoughts again today. And I'll be talking on marriage. What is marriage really? What is marriage? It is 9:12 a.m. and it seems like 6 a.m. It's raining outside. It's been raining since yesterday. It's a beautiful time. Um this topic I was ruminating over all night. Not really all night, but this all morning. And um, I have some revelations and I have to just record this down. So bear with me if I'm a little um, slow with the words. It's because I'm trying to collect my thoughts together. Because I'm recording it on the fly. Um, First of all, the topic of marriage is very sensitive and it's very important that we understand what it means. It's very important we understand what the will of God is in marriage for for man and woman and so that we will not be in error with our decisions and actions. First of all, um, divorce is a very... Um, popular topic amongst married couples or amongst people of the world. Uh, The day before yesterday, I was driving and then one of my passengers, young lady, she's 30 years old, you know, she's very successful. She's one of the youngest. uh, She she told me she was the youngest. um, She has this position that she was awarded in her company She'd be the youngest person to, the youngest female to be in that position in the whole country, in the whole of the country. And um, she was also telling me that she was going through a divorce. Oh, actually, she's, she went through a divorce. I'm like, how can a 30-year-old young promising lady with a bright future, she has over four degrees. She's very successful. She's very, she seemed like a very nice person the way she spoke. I started to wonder, 30 years old, already going, went through a divorce. I wondered what the issue was. I didn't ask her because I didn't want to pry into private matters, but I wonder what the issue was. You know, many people are going through tough times in their marriages. You know, divorce is a prominent, uh, I'll call it spirit, because divorce is... It's not of God. God hates divorce. The Bible says, God said, I hate divorce. I hate putting away. So, why why does divorce happen in marriages? And besides the why divorce happens in marriages, people do not really understand what marriage is. This, is. this is why divorce happens in the first place. If you understand God's purpose and will for marriage, if you understand what, what marriage is, I don't think people will be divorcing at the rate they are divorcing. But the devil is the prince of darkness and it's he's manipulating the minds of people. So he's using people and people do not understand why they do what they do anymore. So see, when the purpose of a thing is not known, abuse is inevitable. If you call your shirt a piece of rag, I guarantee you somebody else will use it to mop the floor. I guarantee you. you. If you call your shirt a piece of rag, oh, that shirt of mine is a piece of rag. 
Somebody else will pick it up and mop the floor with it, no matter how beautiful or clean it is. If you call your plate a dustpan, I guarantee you somebody else will use it to pack up dirt and throw it in the bush. Jesus at the time said, Do not cast your pears before swine, lest they trample it on their feet and turn around and rend you again. <laughs> he said, Do not cast your pears, your jewels, your jewels, do not cast them before swine. Otherwise, they will trample it under their feet and they will come back and rend you. Because you've called your precious jewel uh, trash. So the pigs, they treat it like trash. When the purpose of a thing is not known, abuse becomes inevitable. So it is important for us to understand what marriage is or what is the purpose for marriage. You see, in the book of Mark chapter 10, the Pharisees, they came to ask Jesus a question to test him. They obviously didn't understand what marriage was. So they said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? In other words, is this permitted by law? Remember, as children of God, in the book of First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, Paul admonished us that, why do we take our matter to the law before the unrighteous people and not before saints? He said, don't you know that saints will judge the world? You as a saint, you will judge the world. You will judge angels, not just the world. You will judge angels. So if you cannot handle little issues like this pertaining to this life, how then are you expecting to be able to judge the world in the kingdom of God. But you take your matters to court, you take yourselves to court, and you make a public show of yourself before the unbelievers, and you tear up your marriages and stuff like that. But if you had the Spirit of God to judge, if you had an appointed, if you had appointed a believer, a fellow believer, a saint who is matured enough to you know decide in matters, you won't have to go to court. To court. Um, anyways, that was just a sidetrack of the importance of understanding the law. You see, it is from the law and understanding of the law, not just the law, the laws of God, that you can pass judgment. Because what is the purpose of judging when there's no law? Without law, you cannot pass judgment. It is from the law, what the law says that judgment is passed. <laughs> so every saint who is to be a true saint or that will be in that position to judge the world must know the law. Okay. So, but anyways, the Pharisees came with this question. They said, is it lawful? Is it permitted by law for a man to divorce his wife? No. Now, know that Moses already gave them the permission to divorce their wife. So, they know that it is lawful according to Moses' law to divorce their wives. They know that. They were just testing Jesus because they also know that Jesus has a teaching that is contrary to the laws of Moses. Jesus Christ's teaching of the kingdom was contrary to the laws of Moses. He didn't agree with all the laws of Moses. In the book of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, you have been told of old that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He said, but I say unto you, love your enemies. 
pray for them who despitefully use you. Jesus said, it has been told of old, you have been told of old and taught of old that you an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. He said, no, 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 I came to fulfill the law. I came to set the record straight. Do not think that I came to destroy the law, the prophet. No, 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 I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill them, to enforce them, to, to explain them, to set the record straight for you, to raise the bar, to explain to you the intent of the law. So Jesus' law was well against Moses' law in several areas. And it's understandable why Moses permitted them a lot of things was because of the stubbornness of their heart. And Moses says, you know what? You can go ahead and divorce your wife. But anyways, let me continue the reading. So the Pharisees came and tested him by asking him this question. They said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus responded and says, what did Moses command you? See, Jesus goes back to their law. So, okay, since this law, you want to use the law of Moses? Let me ask you, what did Moses' law say? See, the command is a law. See, the command, Moses' command. Moses was a type of Jesus. Okay, so Moses was a type of Jesus. God gave the commands to Moses to give to the people. So, Moses was a representative of God at the time for a temporary covenant before Christ. So, Jesus said, okay, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. So Moses permitted them to write certificate of divorce and send their wives away. Look at the response of Jesus. He said, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. Jesus replied, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. So I started to I started to ruminate on the words that Jesus said. Like, what did he mean by but at the beginning God made them male and female? In other words, Jesus stressed the fact that in the beginning God made them male and female, not just man. He made them male and female. In other words, man with a male gender and he made woman with a female gender. Are you guys me now? Now we are going to the topic of marriage and divorce. Now watch. Pay attention carefully. Listen carefully. So Jesus was trying to explain to them that it's because you don't understand what marriage is. That is why divorce is common. That is why you you were permitted to divorce. That's why you are hard on divorce. Let me explain to you what it means. What marriage really means. Okay. Jesus said, in the beginning, God didn't make them married. That's why it's basically saying. God didn't make them married. So marriage, therefore, is what? Verse 7 tells you what marriage is. For this reason. What reason? The purpose of marriage. Like I said, everything has a purpose. Everything that God does or creates is for a purpose. And if the purpose of a thing is not known, abuse is inevitable. You misuse it. You break it up. You destroy it. Okay. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. 
Verse 8 continues, and the two will become one flesh. He uses the word flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. So Jesus started by saying, in the beginning, God made them two flesh. Male flesh, female flesh, which denotes the sexuality of those people. God made two males. Neither did he make two females. He made one male and one female. One of them had a male gender. The other one was a female gender. And because of marriage, these two people will become one. So they are no longer two. But one. Basically, you can't say they are male or female anymore. They are no longer male and female. They are now one. A unique creation. You can call it a hybrid. <laughs> a hybrid. Mechanical and electric forms a hybrid. Two becomes one. It's still one car. But some of the parts is mechanical. Some of the car parts is what? Electrical. Wow. It is now a hybrid. A hybrid is the union of two separate or two different kind of a thing and they become one i mean if you have a hybrid vehicle okay if you have a hybrid vehicle and what the hybrid vehicle means is is a combination of electric and a manual like the car partially drives itself and partially you control the car that's what a hybrid is a hybrid vehicle they are fully electric vehicles I'm talking about in terms of autonomy or driving itself. Okay, if you want to talk of in terms of the fuel it uses, the mechanical vehicle will be the ones that uses the gas, and then the electric, fully electric vehicles will be the one that uses electricity, no gas. And the hybrid will be in between, uh, using both uh, a mechanical and electric. That will be in terms of the uh, fuel. But then we also have what we call uh, hybrid vehicles in terms of uh, autonomy, the self-driving ability. There's a fully mechanic which requires you to do all the controls, the steering, the, the changing of the gears and everything. But there's a fully autonomy vehicle that drives itself. Matter of fact, there's cars that drive themselves now. I worked with one. I, I was a, an autonomous vehicle specialist. I worked with Waymo. I actually worked with Google to produce the world's best uh, self-driving vehicle. So I know what I'm talking about. So there's fully self-driving vehicles now. But they're not perfected yet, but they are very close to perfection. So the hybrid in between will be like your Tesla. You know, your, your Tesla is a partially self-driving. You can turn on an autonomous feature in your Tesla vehicles and the car will drive itself. You won't hold the steering or anything. You just sit. Okay, those Tesla cars do that. But they're not fully autonomous, which means they need you to be, uh, to uh, handle the controls at certain times. But the cars that Google are producing now, manufacturing, are working on, and that I told you I worked on that project, they drive themselves. You turn on the autonomous feature and watch your car park itself, drive itself around, and all that stuff. But like I said, it's still not perfect yet. Anyways, I digress. So my point of mentioning this is that the one that is a hybrid, that Tesla vehicle, or that your vehicle that uses partly gas and partly electric, okay, you drive 
I tell you, you save a lot of miles of gallon because it drives, this, it uses electricity for part of the rides. That car, do you call that car two cars? No, you don't call it two cars, right? It's one car. But it's a hybrid because it has the features of both. Are you with me? So this is the mystery of marriage. The mystery of marriage is like a hybrid car that is made up of partly mechanical and partly autonomous or partly fuel-driven and partly electric-driven. It is still one car. It's just one car, but it has the features of both. Initially, before the hybrid vehicles came about, there were fully mechanical vehicles that uses gas and somebody thought of the idea, you know what? I can marry two kinds of cars and make it a hybrid. Are you with me? So this is the mystery that Jesus was trying to explain to these disciples. He said, look, in the beginning of creation, or rather to the uh, Pharisees, in the beginning of creation, God didn't make married couples. <laughs> he made male and female but it's because of marriage that the two will now come together and become one flesh. They are no longer two, he says. Verse 8, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. So they become a hybrid car. One. Now, verse 9, Jesus asks them, or Jesus tells them plainly, Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. How are you not going to separate a hybrid car? And say, you know what? I want to pull, I want to pull apart the electric part of the car from the mechanical part of the car. I want to separate this one car to, to, to become two cars. Is it possible? It is not meant to be possible. It's not supposed to be. This is what Jesus is telling them that Moses only permitted you to separate your vehicle, to separate your hybrid vehicles, you know, because of your hardness of your heart. Because you were so stubborn, you didn't want to listen. See, the way God intended it is for that car to be a hybrid, not torn apart, not separated. In other words, God didn't intend for divorce at all. God didn't want divorce. God only said, this is the reason why male and female will become one. So what I have permitted to become one, let nobody separate so now that, that, that raised a lot of questions for me. I'm like, hmm. So if this is God's will for no one to separate, how come there's divorce? Or why do people divorce randomly for any and every reason? Matter of fact, if you read this uh, encounter in another book of the Bible, I think it's in the book of Luke. The disciple, the question they asked him was, is it, lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason i'm gonna go there shortly because it uh, it's important for what i want to explain now so bear with me while i quickly go there um so uh, they ask him is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason. So it's the same thing. 
Because these days you see people just getting divorced for any and every reason. Oh, I don't like the way she talks to me. Oh, I can't stand this woman. Oh, I hate this gut. I hate her gut. Oh, I hate his gut. Oh, he talks too much. She talks too much. Oh, he doesn't clean. He doesn't cook. Oh, this and that. Oh, this and that. All of this reason. Um, I think it was Matthew. Yeah, Matthew chapter 19 verse 3. Sorry. This is what was happening then in the times of Moses. Those Israelites were just divorcing themselves. They just married this woman. They don't like how she looks now. They just divorce her. Marry that woman. Don't like her guts. Divorce her. Matthew 19 verse 3. So some Pharisees came to him to test him and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So we see here that they are asking Jesus for any reason at all. If I don't like how she cooks or how she talks to me, if she's disrespectful to me, is it lawful for me to just divorce her and go marry somebody else? Jesus gave them the same um, response. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? And he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? See, Jesus responded, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. Jesus told them. Now, verse 9, it goes to give them the only reason why divorce is permitted. This is very important, folks. I want you all to pay attention to this. If you're divorcing your wife or your husband for any reason besides the reason I'm about to read to you, then you are not obeying God. Okay, You're not doing the will of God because this is not the will of God. But not everybody can receive it, you know. I'm not going to judge you and say you're condemned for that. I mean, you're the one in the marriage. You know you knows yourself. You know, you know what is in it. I'm not appointed judge over anybody. I'm just telling you what the word of God says. Verse 9, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So there you go. There is the only reason why the divorce is permitted. Now, let me go back to Mark chapter 10. There's something I want to bring to your understanding here. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about it. So the disciples, they were not satisfied with the answer. They wanted to understand more. He answered, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. So Jesus is telling them, Now look, when you're married to somebody, you're married to that person for life. So there's a reason why you say those oaths for till death do us part. The only thing that separates a man from his wife really is death. To permit him or her to marry another person, okay? Divorce, separation is permitted 
only based on the issue of sexual immorality. And even at that, God still considers them married until one of them dies. Death is what frees that partner to go and then marry another person. Otherwise, you are committing adultery as far as God is concerned. So marriage is a very sensitive and important and delicate subject nobody should just hop into without having an understanding of what you're jumping into. When you decide to marry that person, you marry that person, you have become one with that person. Ain't nothing separating you. Your separation that comes as a result of sexual immorality or adultery doesn't permit you to marry another person. This is God's word. It's hard to receive, but for a lot of people, it's hard to receive. But Jesus said, not everybody can take this. Some people cannot take it. But this is what it is. Let me let me read uh, verse 11 and 12 again. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. So if you're running to divorce your wife and marry another one, you're committing adultery. God says, no, no, you're still married as far as I'm concerned. Verse 12, and if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. The same goes for the woman. This is the law. When God speaks, it becomes law. This is Jesus' will and mind concerning marriage. Marriage is a lifelong thing till death really do you part. And yes, it is till death do you part. And I'll show you where that is in the scripture as well. Um, let me quickly go there. I like to read from the law because when you're considering cases, you have to use the law. The law is what, I mean, there has to be a, a yardstick for for measuring something. Romans chapter 7. From verse 1, it says, Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? Now, this verse is going to be powerful for, for the next step and I'm going to explain to you but I want to use it to explain to you that death is what separates a marriage and permit another person to marry another person verse 2 for example Paul says by law a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive wow a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he's alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. See, when you swore that oath for better or worse, do you see what marriage is? You don't. You don't just hop into something you don't understand. 
when you swear that oath and you say for better or worse in sickness or health till death do us part you are really quoting the law you are really swearing an oath under the law that God says yes by law a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive man but if her husband dies she is released from the law that binds her to him look at what verse 3 says so then if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive she is called an adulteress but if her husband dies she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man that is what i wanted to point about it's all about a lifelong bond now to the topic of marriage what is marriage really now i want to this is the crux of the matter that i'm coming to because if we have understood these basic facts that it is not God's intent for divorce, divorce only permitted when there is adultery, sexual immorality. I repeat again, adultery or sexual immorality. <laughs> because people are so quick to enforce the law but do not even understand the law. Okay. So, so it is important that we understand this first adultery or sexual immorality. Okay. So there's some topics we have to understand. Number one topic is marriage. Number two topic is divorce. Number three topic is sexual immorality and adultery. It is important. We already know what divorce is. It's separation separation okay so that one is quite easy now let us understand what marriage is what then is marriage does the marriage begin or is marriage marriage because you saw the oath at the altar is that when it is bounding bound disciple are now married or is it when you have sex with a woman is that what the marriage is what then is considered as marriage? Because it is important to understand this. If we are to follow the words of God, and I know very well that a lot of people didn't get married to the partner that they had sex with for the first time. Let me rephrase that. Many of you, you're not married to the person you lost your virginity with. Am I lying? Many of you already lost your virginity before you got married. In other words, you already had sexual relations with somebody else you didn't marry. So if marriage is simply the sexual act, because look at what it says, God said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two become one flesh. That process of the two becoming one flesh, is it the sexual act? Because if that is what marriage is then, you are really married to the person you first had sex with. <laughs> uh, I'm not speaking the word of God now. 
So that's why it's important to understand what God considers as marriage. There is some, there's what God considers as marriage. Is it just a sexual act? Because many of us had sex with people before we got married. Or you had sex before you finally got married to one woman and said, this is my wife. What does God consider then as marriage? And also understand that sexual relations in the eyes of God is not just the intercourse. It's not just intercourse. That one is very clear from the book of Matthew chapter 5. He says in verse 27, Jesus was speaking. He said, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. Jesus want to tell you what adultery is. Because many of you, you don't, you don't understand what these things are. So you, you err. You make, we, we err because we do not know the truth. That is why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I came to set the record straight. I came to show you what truth is. He said, you have been heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Verse 28. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So in the eyes of Jesus, or according to Jesus, the word of God, it is a lustful desire in the heart that is adultery. Adultery, according to Jesus, is a lustful desire in the heart. <laughs> if you look at a woman, which means you cannot have a lustful desire if you didn't see something. <laughs> Am I with you? Or are you with me? Are we with each other? So, the lustful desire only comes when you see. That's why the word look is there. You look at a woman. You have to look at her or him. So, if you look at a man as a woman, and a woman looks at a man, the woman looks at a man, the man looks at a woman, and you lustfully desire them, you've committed an adultery. That is what adultery is. That's why Jesus said, if you're right, I cause you to stumble, cut it and throw it away. It's better for you to lose a part of your body than for you to be thrown into hell with your entire body. Now, let me go back now. So, question now is, what then is marriage? Now, what really is marriage? People don't understand what marriage is. This is why there's a lot of problems. If you don't understand the purpose of a thing, you will abuse it inevitably. Inevitably, you abuse it. Guaranteed. Now, I could have gone to the Library of Congress to do a research on the word marriage. I could have gone to the Dictionary of Contemporary English or the Oxford Dictionary to learn what marriage is. But i rather choose to learn of marriage from the originator or the one who ordained marriage itself. Marriage was ordained by God. So therefore, God is the only person who has the ultimate, genuine purpose for marriage and reason for marriage. He's the one who 
ordained it. So he's the one that can tell you what it is. So therefore, let us go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Now, why are we going to this verse to solidify or get our authority on what marriage is? It's because Jesus himself quoted this verse. Jesus said, in the beginning, God made them male and female. For this reason, the man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So, let us therefore go to the beginning. Genesis chapter 2 verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Wait a second. That is why a man... That means something came before this verse. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. To his wife. So, there's already a wife here. And they become one flesh. So, there cannot be a unity and becoming of one flesh until there is a wife. And who is a wife? The wife is a woman who is married to a man. That's what the wife is. So, the marriage occurred before this verse 24. So then what is marriage? <laughs> Clearly from this verse 24 of Genesis chapter 2, marriage is not having sexual intercourse with a woman. Can we establish that fact? That is not what marriage is. Okay? That is a process of cleaving to another flesh, but that is not what marriage is. As far as the scripture is concerned. The why a man leaves his father and his mother is what marriage is. So therefore, let us read the preceding verses for context. <clears throat> Verse 18, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him Hmm. Now the Lord God formed out of the ground all wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Huh. No suitable helper was found for Adam. So... The Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. It is very important to understand that God doesn't do anything without purpose. Everything God creates is with a purpose. It's for a purpose as well. The reason why God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep was because there was no suitable helper found for Adam. <laughs> Stay with me now. We want to understand what marriage is. Remember, verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So God wanted to make a suitable helper for the man. Purpose for the woman being created. I'm not saying this is marriage. I'm saying this is the purpose why the woman was created. Okay. So 
the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with the flesh. With flesh, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. So God presented the woman he made from the man. He presented her to him. Then look at verse 23. All of a sudden the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. So she is called woman because she is taken out of man. But the woman was presented to the man by God. Or God brought her to the man. So God brought her. God brought. God showed the man the woman. Brethren, stay with me now on the issue of marriage. And then the man said, This is now bone of my bones. So what God does is show the man the woman. God doesn't pick the wife for the woman, I mean for the man. Pay attention now. God doesn't pick the wife for the man. What God does is show the man, the woman. <laughs> the Lord God made the woman from the rib he had taken and he brought her to the man. God showed the man, the woman said, look at this woman. And then the man said, this is now bone of my bones. The man chose her as his wife. And she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Verse 24 now says, This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. Wow. So the reason why you move out of your father's house, you leave your family and go to join with that woman, is because of marriage. Is because you have chosen the woman to be flesh of your flesh and bone of your bone. That there is marriage, folks. So marriage is a process that starts from a presentation. And who does the presentation? God does the presentation. As man, you are on earth. And God presents before you several women as you journey through life. You choose the one that you desire. Say, this one. And then she becomes your wife. So then the process of going to court to swear the oath is only just a formal legal process to stamp it on paper the actual marriage is the choice the man makes. And it occurs when the man decides to say, this one I choose. <laughs> if you read through the scripture, according to different cultures, right? In some culture, it requires the man to pay what they call a bride price. 
as the custom. But at the end of the day, the marriage is when the man picks one and decides to leave, abandon, not abandon, leave his father and mother, leave his own family to start his own family. That is the process of marriage. God says this is why they become one flesh. So if you just go to the court of law to swear some papers, but you didn't choose that woman as your wife in your heart, she's not your wife. You just want to sign a bunch of papers to get something. But if you chose to not live with this woman, to not leave your own parents, and cleave to your wife, join to her. The, 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 the word NIV uses here says united to your wife, the one you have chosen. She's your wife because you chose her. So the process of becoming wife is, is when the man chooses. That's what the, the, the marriage is. The marriage is the marriage is a process that starts from the man choosing. And the marriage is uh, stamped into law by the uh, swearing of oaths. In some culture, it only requires you approaching the parents of the woman and giving her a price or giving the, the, the man a price. The price is given to the father of the woman. And it's the man that permits the woman to be joined to the husband. Do you see? So if you didn't do what your customary law requires, you have not fulfilled the law in terms of marriage. It doesn't mean you're not married though, because if you chose this woman as your wife, before God, she's already your wife. If you genuinely in your heart say, I want this woman, I want to spend the rest of my life with this woman. I like her. She's born of my bone, of flesh of my flesh. And the woman accepts your proposal. And then you guys go together and start to live together according to what the scripture says to unite together the process of uniting together is not only the sexual part it's also everything that has to do with you because you are no longer two but one that's why you file taxes together that's why you put your names on the lease together you guys are becoming one really you're treated like one unit because you are one unit that is what marriage is I'm glad that we have this understanding of what marriage is from the scripture. Okay, now that we have understood what marriage is, let us now go to divorce. And let us now understand why you should never divorce until you understand what you're about to do. We discovered today the intention or plan of God for marriage is not for separation. Only thing that separates or that is permitted to separate or that permits a man or a woman to divorce or separate is when there is a sexual immorality or adultery. Adultery. Now, that adultery there, 
Jesus didn't say it has to be physical. He only said adultery. And we understood by his understanding what adultery is. It's not just going to have sexual relations with a woman. It's lusting after that person, desiring that person in your heart. Now, I'm not saying this to say every time you lust after somebody in your heart as a man or a woman, then you should go get it. You're permitted to get a divorce. That's not what I'm saying. I am only saying that there are some people that are very quick to enforce the law. Now, not everybody are like this. Some people are very quick to enforce the law on something. Not understanding the law themselves. The, the word of God says, if you judge others, you will be judged with the same measure you were judged. You judge other people. That's why the scripture says, judge not. For if you're judging somebody, trying to pull out a speck of dust in your brother's eye and you forget about the plank in your own eye you're being hypocritical that if you judge just know that you'll be judged with the same measure as well what i'm saying is if there's a man who is sexually immoral and examples of sexual immorality include watching pornography Examples of sexual immorality include lusting and desiring someone who is not your wife or your husband. These are sexual immoral behaviors. If you are that type of person, you are guilty of sinning against your marriage. As far as God is concerned, you sin against the marriage. It tears the marriage apart. It tears the marriage up. It, it brings about a separation. The divorce didn't just occur when the woman stepped out of her marriage to sexually meet with another man or when the man stepped out of his marriage to sexually meet with another woman. The divorce started when the both of them or either of them were sexually immoral, either through pornography or desiring other people that are not members of their union, a sexual immorality is sexual immorality. Jesus said, you have been heard that it was told of old, do not, you shall not commit adultery. He said, but I say to you, Whosoever look upon <laughs> to lust after in their heart has already committed adultery. So let us be clear. If you're ready to run to the court, to the law, to enforce the law, remember that you're placing judgment. You want to enforce the judgment, enforce the law. But do you not know, brothers and sisters, if you understand what the law is, that the law has power, authority over someone only as long as they live. So, that law has power as long as the life is there. So, run into the law to enforce the law. Understand what you're doing. 
Sexual immorality is a sin. Let me read for you. I pray the Holy Spirit speaks to you as I'm speaking these words. Let me read for you a very important portion of the scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. From verse 7, I'm going to read down. I want you to pay attention. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to the law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Are you hearing this now? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? Now, when he says be cheated, is when you remember when Jesus taught them, says, if somebody slaps you on one cheek, turn the other cheek, if somebody wants to offend you, forgive them. That's basically what Paul is saying. That. Why not forgive each other? Why do you wrong to enforce the laws? what he's saying? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat. Paul is basically saying, basically saying, every single one of you are doing this thing. But you pick and choose according to your flesh, according to your own knowledge. But if you really understood the law, you both are involved in this wickedness. But God is the one that searches the hearts and sees what men thinks in their hearts. He said, and you do these things to your brethren. Say, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, pay attention now. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. He said, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Brethren, Paul just listed, let me count, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 10 conditions that will hinder you from inheriting the kingdom of God, folks. But if you rush to the Lord to enforce one of these and you ignore the others, don't you know that you're guilty? Whoever is under the law that breaks one of the laws has broken all of them. Jesus said in the book of Matthew chapter 5, Whosoever therefore shall put to the side one of the least of these commandments shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall practice and teach men, these commandments shall be called great. So do not hide any of these to highlight one of these that affect you or affect your partner. Remember, we're still on the topic of marriage and divorce. Remember, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners will not inherit the kingdom of God. Look at what Paul says, says, but you, he says, and such were some of you. I know a lot of you here listening to the words that I'm speaking now were once sodomites. Am I lying? You were once a fornicator. Am I lying? You were once an adulterer. Am I lying? You were once an idolater. Am I lying? You were once a homosexual. Am I lying? You were once a thief. Am I lying? You were once covetous. You were once a drunkard. 
You were once a reviler and an extortioner. You were once these things. Somebody who was once an adulterer, that person was clearly married. So the difference between fornication and adultery is this. Fornication is sexual immorality outside before you were married. But adultery is sexual immorality after you've been married. So let's not get it. So you could basically call fornication and adultery sexual immorality. Sexual immorality involves any lustful desire that is not permitted by God. The only lustful desire that is permitted by God is between a man and his wife, period. So any lustful desire. So let us get the record straight so we will not be deceived by the devil. Any lustful desire, sexual lustful desire that is not between a man and his wife is sexual immorality. It's an adultery. If he's married, if they are not married, it's fornication. So these people are not inheriting. It says, and such were some of you. So this is what some of you were. So Paul is speaking to believers. People that were once in these lifestyle. Such were some of you, but you were what? Washed. How are you washed? By the word. By truth. By the spirit of God. It says, but you were washed, but you were sanctified. Does, it not tally, does this not tally with what the will of God is? It says, not the will of God that any man should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then the book of First Thessalonians chapter 4 says, is it not the one that says, uh, submit yourselves to God? It says, the will of God is for you to be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality. So, so as, this is how some of you were, but you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the what? name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Hallelujah. Do you now see that the man who was once an adulterous person is being justified by God? Wow. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 says, the second chapter 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away, behold, all things have become new. So basically, all of these sins you were once partakers of, but you have become sanctified by the Spirit of God. Now, let me go to Romans chapter 7. Having understood this fact, this is how you now judge between cases that has to do with marriage and divorce and people that are going through this challenge. As a leader, as a pastor, as a whoever you are, a marriage counselor, if couples come to you and say, oh, we're getting a divorce, this is what we're going through, Pull out the word of God for. Don't go to, don't go to the law of uh, world of the world. Don't go to the law of the world because you're not, you're not under the, you're not, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. So why are you trying to uh, judge the case? Or why are you trying to uh, admonish those that couple with the world? Use the word of God. The word of God is our law. It's our book of the law. 
Joshua 1 8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Jesus came to say, he said, I didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets. I came to set the record straight. I came to fulfill them. This is the book of the law. Use this book of the law to explain to the couple what is what they're about to do or what is going on in their marriage. Explain to them, admonish them. Now, do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who understand the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as the person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and it's not an adulteress if she marries another man. So Paul here is saying that having sexual relations with another man is liking to marrying that man. Now, I'm not saying that is what marriage is. That's not what marriage is. But that is part of marriage. That's like, that's a process of marriage. So marriage is, in my opinion, this is not from scripture. This is my opinion. You know, there are times when Apostle Paul says, this, this, is my, uh, this is my command. This is my command, not the Lord's. Okay? If a man wants to remain married to a wife, that is an unbeliever. If the unbeliever is okay with it, she should not divorce him. So my opinion, the marriage is not just about uh, going to the uh, court of law to swear an oath. Because some people feel like that's what marriage is. We just went to court and we swore the oath. If your mind is not really in that process, why you were swearing the oath? For example, how some people just go and swear an oath to get papers, right? They just go there to swear an oath to marry the citizen of America, for example, so that way they can now go and file papers. They don't, they don't even have sexual relations with the woman. You know, a lot of people do it. I don't believe that it's marriage. You know what I'm saying? I don't believe that it's marriage. Even though I don't permit it, I don't think anybody should do that. When I came to the U.S., but a lot of people did that. A lot of people were doing that. They were just hopping in uh, a marriage just to get papers. You know what I'm saying? Now, in my case, I came. I needed papers, of course, to stay in the country. But my mind was not on that. Are you getting me now? This is, this is what people don't understand. My mind, why I came to America was to settle down here find a wife right and spend the rest of my life with that woman this was this is my mind that is why I stayed away from women as much as I could all the time I was in Nigeria growing up <laughs> I ran away from women I tried to man it chased me honestly I mean I was tempted too you know what I mean I'm not perfect you know I was tempted you know um and to be honest I did have a sexual relation with a woman back in Nigeria. To be honest, to, to set the record straight, you know. But let me not go into all of that. But 
I wasn't married to her. I wasn't intending to marry her. I never wanted to marry her. So it's not marriage. If your mind is not on marrying that person. So marriage is a, I call this, it's a process. Marriage is a process. Marriage is a process that takes time. You know what I'm saying? Marriage is a process that takes time. Marriage doesn't just happen in one day. That is a wedding. People have misunderstood what wedding is and have construed and confused it with what marriage is. People put so much stock on the wedding but ignore the marriage. People invest so much money on the wedding but ignore the marriage. The wedding happens in one day, but the marriage is a lifelong thing. That is why a man is joined to his wife as long as he lives. So the marriage is a lifelong thing and process. It's not just something that happened in one day because you went to the court and you swore the oath and then you danced and you wore the white garment and you kissed the bride and that is your marriage. You're married now. Yes, you are now married. You you now publicly joined to this woman. But your marriage... It's a process that takes a whole life long because it's a learning experience between the two of you. All of a sudden, you realize that this man, you know, he yells sometimes. And then you realize all of a sudden that this woman, she's moody sometimes. And then you realize that this woman, you know, you start to discover things about your partner that you have to live with. Jesus said, two shall become one flesh. If two different people are becoming one, don't you know that there's a lot of learning and, and, and discovery, let me use the word, that takes place? You begin to discover things about each other that you never saw. Many of you only caught for a few weeks and you get married. And then you realize, oh, wait a second, he doesn't like to wash his socks. His socks actually stinks. <laughs> wait a second. His socks actually stinks. Well, you mean I got to live with this? You see what I'm saying? And then people want to run off and divorce. Oh, wait a second. He snores. She snores. Or she opens her mouth wide open when she sleeps and snores. People just... For some people, they cannot handle the disrespect. Some people, they cannot handle the... You know, all the... Show. No one person ever gets married to a perfect person. They are perfect for each other. That is why it's a union. They complement each other. That's why it's a union. That's why what God joined together. No man should separate. The man is a man. The male is a male and the female is a female. The female cannot get married to a female. Don't get it twisted, man. Neither can the male get married to a male. They needed to complement each other. What I don't have, you have. Or what you have, I don't. I lack. That is why logical reasoning and analytical reasoning come together. You see? But because you didn't understand this, you didn't learn about marriage, you didn't understand what it means, you run into it and now you're surprised and you're shocked at the outcome. You prepared your whole life for wedding. Many people save for their wedding. Their whole life. Spend their whole life planning and saving for their wedding, dreaming of that day, just thinking how glorious it's going to be and preparing for that day, but they forgot about the marriage. And now, all of a sudden, the wedding comes and goes, and now they have to stop with this person for the rest of their life. (laughs) 
So then, folks, why I'm saying all of this is, the marriage is a lifelong experience. It's a lifelong. It's a lifelong. Marriage is not to be entered into just for the sole purpose of having sex. You will be disappointed if you do that. Marriage is not to be entered into just because you want to have sex. Although the scripture did say, if a man cannot stay, let him get married. Let him have his own wife. But if you marry just for that purpose, what if you can't get to sex? What if your wife is not willing at that moment? Do you not have to run away? Put your flesh on that subjection, folks. Marriage is for life. Now, let me go further now. As believers, now, what do you do if your partner is an adulterous person? Or what do you do when you discover that your partner that you trusted so much, that you love so much, cheated on you or has been cheating on you? What do you do? How do you handle such pain and such trauma and such position and such... How do you how do you handle that as a believer? How do you how do you overcome that pain? How do you recover when you discover that you're now? I'm not speaking to people that are married to unbelievers, so, or that you're unbeliever. If you are an unbeliever and you're married to an unbeliever and he's cheating on you, you and now you already don't you are an unbeliever which means you don't believe in God or his laws so you're probably going to do whatever you want to do so you don't care you won't care so much about what I'm saying but I'm speaking to those that know the Lord that are believers it hurts so much when you discover that your partner cheated on you or is cheating on you let me explain what I mean look if you discover that your wife is watching porn or your husband is watching porn behind your back <laughs> or enjoys it. That is adultery, folks. That is adultery. That is basically cheating on you. If you discover that your husband or your wife has been seeing other men or other women, that is adultery. That is painful, folks. How do you overcome that? How do you how do you get over that, folks? Look at what the scripture says. Let's, let's go to the scripture, the word of God. The word of God said, from where we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he said, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11 says, and such were some of you, were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. So therefore, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 11, I'm quoting from the book of the law of God. 
adultery, fornication, idolatry, homosexualism, sodomism, theft, covetousness, drunkenness, revilers, extortioners, are washed, are sanctified, are justified in the name of Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Case closed. If any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have what? Passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So if you were once in these sins that I just listed, and you're feeling guilty, and you're feeling sad and depressed, and it's affecting your marriage as couples, unless any couple wants to tell me that they're not guilty of these things I just listed. If you're guilty of these things I just listed, then you have been adulterous towards your husband. If any couple, I'm speaking to married couples that are going through adultery issues, fornication issues, and trying to divorce, if you, man or woman, male or female in that uh, uh, relationship, if you have been a fornicator in your past, if you have been an adulterer in your past, if you have been a homosexual in your past, if you have been a drunkard in your past, if you have been involved in any of these sins in your past, do not terminate your relationship as long as your partner is a believer and has been sanctified by the Spirit of God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do not terminate that relationship. Understanding the will of God for let us understand what the will of God is. The will of God is what? What is the will of God, folks? <laughs> mm. It is not God's will that any should perish. So we know that who those that are guilty of these sins, okay, are what? Guilty of the wrath of God. But look at what the scripture says, though. In the book of 2 Peter chapter 3, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, not willing that anyone should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. The will of God, therefore, is that you should not perish. He wants you to inherit the kingdom of God. Am I right or wrong? Yes. He said it is God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But only those that seek it, that seek the kingdom and its righteousness. If you seek the kingdom of God and its righteousness and you are willing to do what it takes to enter, the Bible says the kingdom of God suffers violence, the violence taken by force. God is willing to give you the kingdom. And by him giving you the kingdom, you are sanctified by the Spirit of God. Such were some of you. You were once an adulterer. You once committed fornication and sexual immorality. But if you have been washed, if you have been sanctified, if you have been justified in the name of the Lord by the Spirit of the Most High God, you are pure. You are pure. You have become free of any guilt of sin. Mighty God. You have become what? Free 
of any guilt of that sin. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3 It is God's will that you keep away from sexual sin as a mark of your devotion to Him. It is God's will that you be sanctified and that you should abstain from sexual immorality. God's will, therefore, for you, married couples that are going through this challenge, is for you to be sanctified. See, sanctification is the process of cleaning you from your sins, from your adultery, from your fornication, from your immorality, from your drunkenness, from your reviling, from your idolatry, from your lies and theft. It's for you to be sanctified. How are you sanctified? By the word of the truth. The word of truth, which is the word of God. And by the spirit of the most high God. Hallelujah. Sanctification is the process. Sanctification is the process of or the quality of being holy. That's why the word of God says, be ye holy, even as your Father in heaven is holy. To sanctify something means to make the person holy. Be holy, be set apart. To be a saint. So the saints basically is the person that is sanctified. Don't get it twisted. What Catholic doctrine tells you the saints are those people that are dead, that are in heaven, that are, you know, the pure people that are in heaven. No, no, the saints are those believers that have been sanctified by the spirit of truth. They are holy. They have been set apart. They are not in, they are not, they have been washed clean. They've been what? Washed clean. The Bible says in the book of John chapter 17, verse 17, it says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So how do you become sanctified? It's through the word. The truth. And the word of God is the truth. So every believer or non-believer, whether you are once religious or not, when you begin to accept the truth of God and read the word of God, and digest the word of God and meditate on the word of God and understand the word of God and abide in the word of God and let the word of God abide in you according to John chapter 15 you are sanctified by the truth it begins of course by being born again because if you don't have the spirit of truth you cannot accept the truth the Bible says the word cannot see him speaking of the spirit of God because they do not accept him they don't, they don't have the, the spirit of truth and they cannot receive the spirit of truth because they don't want to receive the truth. Sanctify them through that truth. That word is truth. <laughs> so, if you and or your partner have been sanctified, you have been declared righteous and justified according to the book of First Corinthians chapter 6, folks. What this means is you should now begin to live in newness of life. That is why First Thessalonians 4 says, avoid sexual immorality to prove that you are not a child of God. Begin to live a life of holiness. Now, you've been sanctified not to return back to your old vomit as a dog does, but to remain pure and remain an That's why Jesus said in the book of John chapter 15, if my words abide in you and you abide in me, it means you remain in me. 
then you begin to bear fruit. Hallelujah. This is why we say unto dead doors part in wedding vows because you're bound for life. Don't let the devil deceive you. It is not Lord, it's not it is not God's will for you to separate. It is not God's will for you to be for your marriage to be broken apart. It's not God's will for you to separate because there is nothing that God cannot do. Because you, I'm speaking to you, you, you that hear me. At a point in your life, you were sexually immoral. At the point in your life, you were guilty of one law that could condemn you. So you have no quote unquote right to say to condemn the neighbor. So if you want to enforce the law to divorce your husband or your wife because of sexual immorality or adultery, you are permitted. But God says, but you cannot marry another person as long as he or she is alive. Otherwise, you are committing adultery. Because in God's eyes, you are still married. It is death that will separate you. Do you see? It's clear that God doesn't want you to separate. That is not his will. He said in himself, I hate divorce. I hate putting away. He said what? I hate divorce. Where does he say that? In the book of Malachi chapter 2 verse 16. Malachi chapter 2 verse 16. Let me turn there. Malachi 2 verse 16 he says, The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. So God is saying now, don't be unfaithful to your, to your spouse. God sees divorce as a violence. He sees divorce as a violence. Hmm. He sees divorce as what? Violence. He sees divorce as what? Violence. Now, New Living Translation says, For I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. Wow. It's cruel, God says. It's cruel. So, do not be unfaithful to your wife. Now, as couples dealing with issues of adultery in your marriage, how do you now move on? How do you bear? It is by the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit that God gives. You have to just ask God for the grace to forgive and then to heal your heart. Because like I said, if you want to really, if you really let the Holy Spirit speak to you and you don't harden your heart like the Israelites did and Moses permitted them to divorce because their heart was so hardened. If you want to let the Holy Spirit speak to you, I will speak to you now. Romans chapter 7. Listen very carefully.
Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I speak to those that know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as the person lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man, while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit speaking here. You also died to the Lord. Now, married couples, brother, sister, that is trying to enforce the law. Apostle Paul says you are dead to the law. So you are no longer bound to the law. Through the body of Christ, you are dead to the law and you belong to another whom God raised from the dead. Because when, I'm reading verse 5, for when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. That's why I asked that question. Were you in the past or at the time in your past, did you commit fornication or not? Yes, you did. Were you sexually immoral? Immoral? Yes, you were. Matter of fact, were you an adulterer? Don't say no. Yes, you were. You were lusting. You used to lust in your heart. You were committing adultery. You were looking at porn. You were committing adultery. You were sleeping around. You were committing adultery. In the past. But now, by dying to what once bound us. Ha, yeah, yeah, yeah. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Something that is new is not what it used to be. Am I speaking from the word of God or not? Yes, I am. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Ha, kababo shatayahe. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. We're not saying the law is sinful. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was if it were not for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said you shall not covet. Mm. Paul is saying here by the Spirit of God that you were once bound to this lifestyle. That is why when the accusers of the adulterous woman came and pointed to Jesus that this woman was in the sin of adultery she was caught in the very act now i don't know if you caught your husband or your wife while cheating on you <laughs> but this woman was caught in the very act doing the sin committing the sin they wanted jesus they wanted jesus to pass judgment on her and condemn her to death but jesus the scripture says when took a piece of stone and started writing on the ground and said let the one of you that is without sin cast the first one 
Jesus was trying to paint a picture here that, look, if you want to enforce the law on this woman, go ahead and enforce the law on her. But, I'm going to enforce the law on you as well. Because you are guilty of the same sin. Matter of fact, many of you were committing adultery with the same very woman in your heart. You cut her in the heart. You were desiring her in your heart. You were, you were guilty as well. You were, you were probably, you probably stripped her naked in your heart. But you want her to be condemned to death. Jesus says, I didn't come to cast sinners away, but to save them. And there's an important statement that Jesus made. He said to the woman, Go, your sins are forgiven you. Go and sin no more. That is sanctification. Jesus sanctified the woman on the spot. He sanctified her with the spirit of truth, with the word of God, with his word. Your sins are forgiven you. Wow. So, couple, madam, brother, Forgiveness is where it starts. Forgiveness is where it starts. Jesus said, if you don't forgive men their sins or their trespasses, your heavenly father will also not forgive you yours. That is why Jesus told them, if you are without sin, cast the first stone. All right, go ahead and judge her. Let me judge you as well. You forgive her, I forgive you your sins as well. (laughs) It starts from forgiveness. Forgive. And love your spouse. Ask God for the grace to do this. Even if it requires you going to fast and pray. Go ahead and fast and pray. For however as long as the Spirit leads you. To give you the grace to forgive and to love. Understanding this that he is sanctified. She is sanctified. Both of you have to be sanctified though. If you are not sanctified. The sin is bound to reoccur. And you have to learn now to put your flesh under subjection. You have to learn to modify, modify the deeds of the body. Paul said, "Modify the deeds of the body." In other words, kill the body, kill the lust, crucify the Lord. Jesus said, "Usoma is not willing to deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. He's not worthy of me." So daily, you take up your cross now and follow Christ every day. You deny yourself. You deny yourself. So, it is not the end of your marriage. Or let me restate it. It doesn't have to be the end of your marriage. As long as both of you or whoever is involved in this is sanctified. So, sanctification is what the will of God is in your marriage. It's not divorce. (laughs) Divorce is not the God's will. Divorce doesn't solve the problem. Divorce only permits you to hide your face as a way from this person that you are ashamed of now. You are ashamed of him or her because of what has happened. And you don't want to be associated with him or her because you've, the person has been defiled and polluted. But remember what 1 Corinthians 6 says. It says you are being washed. Something, something who's, who's, somebody who has been defiled and polluted but has been washed, and not just washed with soap and water, washed by the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb take away the sins of the world. Ah, Maribos. John said to Jesus, of Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. 
He said, you were washed in the blood. So, God is saying, hey, this man, yes, he's filthy. This woman, yes, she's filthy from all this drunkenness and all this sexual immorality and all this adultery and all this reviling and all these things that she has been involved in in her past. This man is filthy and polluted and disgusting from all these sins and all the devil comes to point out to you, yeah, this person is disgusting. Oh, oh, look at what he did. Look at what she did. But the word of God said, but you have been washed. You have been sanctified. And not just only that, justified. Do you know what it means to be justified? It means to be declared free and guiltyless by the Spirit of God. What a wonderful, what a wonderful thing. What a wonderful power God, God has given to us. What a wonderful spirit. What a what a glorious, what a, what a very, it's, it, there's what, what can we express how loving God is? So, my dear brother and sister, the will of God is that what you should be sanctified and to avoid sexual immorality. Stay away from this sin. Stay in the word. Clean. You are clean by the word. Jesus said to the disciples, you are clean by the word. Hallelujah. The Lord is good. You are clean by the word. You are what? Clean by the word. And for further studies, if you want to read the case of the woman that was caught in adultery, it's in the book of John chapter 8, verse 7. Okay. You are what? You are what? Clean. Don't let the devil deceive you. Don't let the devil bring all this hatred and enmity and against you. If you still want to divorce your husband or your wife because of sexual immorality, go ahead. Jesus said that's the reason why you divorce. But you cannot marry somebody else otherwise you will be committing adultery again. Okay, because as far as God is concerned, you all are still married till one of you died. So, but God's will is for you to be sanctified, not for you to divorce. <laughs> it's a hard thing to go through, but it is a phase. And every phase always passes away. If you trust God, He can heal you and unite you and you become even more united. Because as Jesus said, he who is forgiving little, loves little. But he who is forgiving much, loves much. <laughs> Lastly, before I go, I'll read the book of John chapter 15. John chapter 15 is a very important book of scripture. Man, John chapter 15 is very important, my brothers and sisters. Please read the book of John chapter 15 very carefully. Verse... Let me read from this one. It says, I am the vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Verse 3. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. You are clean by the word of God. So if this word of God dwell richly in you, if you allow the word of God to abide in you, look at what it says in verse 4. Remain in me. Who is speaking here? The word of God is speaking. As I also remain in you, as the word remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me, Jesus said. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, 
thrown in the fire and burned. Hallelujah. Go to verse 10. It says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's command. Verse 12 says, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as what? How did Jesus love you? Jesus loved you to the point that he gave his life. He abandoned himself. He abandoned his life for you. That is what love means. Love means to put aside your own desires and what you want. What you would rather want or what you rather like to happen, right? You, you rather would like to be fulfilled. You would rather to have your life and enjoy it. And, but Jesus put those pleasures aside. He said, let this mind be in you also that was also in Christ Jesus. Who for the, he, for, for, for the purpose, he set aside the pleasures. He denied himself. He was God. But he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation. And took upon himself the form of a servant. And endured the cross. He went through such suffering and pain. Because he wanted to save you. Because he loved you so much. 13. Greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends. Wow. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servants does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Verse 17. This is my command. Love each other. Do what? Love each other. Love each other. Love each other. If you love your spouse like you claim you do, hmm, you will forgive him. You will forgive her regardless of what he did to you. Let me tell you, you shouldn't have any reason why you love somebody. If you have a reason why you love that person, then your love is going to fail. If you love him because he's handsome, tall, what if time comes when he's no longer handsome? So that means your love disappears now. If you love him because he was such a devout child of God, what if a time comes when he's tested and he's no longer a devout child of God? That means your love was not, your love is not going to last. You shouldn't love any person for any reason. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It didn't say, For God so loved the world because, matter of fact, the scripture says, For while we are yet sinners, Christ loved us and he died for us. He loved us while we are yet sinners. Aye. So, if God had a reason for loving us, probably that love wouldn't have lasted because if that because humans change, the Bible says God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should repent. You see, man change. Man change. There's two things that are constant in life, time and change. Man changes, but God does not change. So if you love him because of something, then your love is going to fail. Love him because God said to love him. If you love somebody because God says to love him and you love God, then your love will not fail. I think that should be the only reason why you should love any person. Because God says so. But then if I say that, it will look as if you're being forced. So, don't, do not let there be any reason. Do not let there be any reason. Love God because love God. Love your neighbor because you are God. You are like God. You are made like God. And God has no reason for loving. So, you have no reason for loving. There you go. That should be the only reason why you love. Because you are like God. You were made like God and you are like God. Because in the first place, 
if you are not renewed in the image of God, because man fell from that image, you will not love like God. This is the only way to overcome. It is my prayer that God will heal your marriage in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. God bless.